Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I know. I'm not good at this. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Maybe. Okay, so are we recording? We're good? Okay, good morning. We got it. We're here. We're um, uh, live and we're online, actually. Um, not live online, but uh, I was asked to tell those of you that are new that the lectures uh, are online on women's Bible study messages, so you can just, if you miss a week and you actually want to hear my voice, uh, I wouldn't listen to this week's because there's probably going to be a lot of coughing on it, so it's not going to sound real good. But uh, And uh, I'm not... I'm not real good with the whole handheld thing, because I do this when I teach, and then, the, and, oh, wait. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll do our best. We'll get through it. I'm so grateful you're here, so grateful um, that you braved the, the house began to twitch, and then to pitch, yeah, uh, the, the Wizard of Oz scene that's out there uh, today to be here this morning, and uh, I'm excited to get started on James. Uh, it's a new, new adventure for me. I've never taught James, and I've always been just a little bit intimidated to teach James, so uh, this will be this will be fun. Our purpose for our time just here this morning is uh, to allow you, because we have some new faces here, uh, so sorry to those of you that have known me for 30 years, get to know me a little bit and a little bit about the study just in general, and then a little bit about James, a little background on James, both the person and the letter of James. But first things first, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for each lady here, and uh, just pray that you would Open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us this morning, uh, that we might learn of you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm Amy. I'm Amy Keezer. I've been married to Jeff for 27 years, and um, which of course means, oops, those are our kids. Go back. Um, which of course means we were very young when we got married, because how could we be married 27 years? And uh, yeah, because I'm not that old. So I was approximately 12 years old in this picture. The funny thing about that was that when I was looking over my lecture, I thought, you know, even if I was 12 when I was married, I'm older than most of you in this room, <laughs> even, even so, and I wasn't 12. Um, that was, yeah, not all of you. I didn't say all of you, because y'all were there for that, so. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, 27 years, and I actually was 25, but 12 was my dress size, so I did have some truth uh, in there somewhere. <laughs> we have three children. Uh, Josh, Katie, and Lane. Josh is 23 years old and um, is uh, currently working for Blake Erke. His wife is here in the room uh, on a, in a construction company and loving that and loving Jesus. And those of you who have walked this road with me with him, uh, we're grateful about that and, and looking forward to what God has for his life. In fact, because we have both Blake's wife and Jeff, Start, Jeff Dart's wife in the room, I just have to say I could not ever express how grateful I am for those two men and the impact they've had on this young man's life. So he just got in at two in the morning yesterday, uh, or today, excuse me, he went down to watch his best friend graduate from basic training in San Antonio. So he's probably home in bed. I don't know, maybe Blake's pulled him out of bed and made him go to work today, but uh, that's Josh. Our daughter Katie is 18. She's a senior in high school, having a wonderful senior year, loving that. I'm not looking forward to what's ahead. Uh, she's applied to five colleges. She's been accepted to two. We're waiting to hear from the other three. Been a few snafus with her application with those. And um, she is currently in rehearsals uh, as a lead in Once Upon a Mattress. She is, as she likes to put it, the cute princess, which really has only served to affirm to her that she is actually a princess because she believes she is Cinderella. Uh, and she's looking forward to being in that. If, 
If I could give some encouragement to those of you that have daughters, young daughters, that you're pulling your hair out because they're strong-willed, and uh, you're just thinking, what in the world? I'm going to tell you a story about Katie, because this defines Katie. This story, she's three years old, defines who she is. This will tell you more about our Katie than any other story. Um, Jeff's family used to have a bookstore downtown, and I had gone downtown to do something. I don't know, I'd taken Katie with me, and Jeff was walking us back to our car. And Katie, it really doesn't matter, from birth, it really doesn't matter who else is in the room. She is in charge, and she will tell you um, what you're supposed to do. And that's exactly what she was doing as we were walking along, three years old. She's telling us, and she's giving it, reading us the riot act and telling us how it's going to be. And a complete stranger walks by and looks at us and goes, some guy's going to have his hands full in 20 years. <laughs> and so he will. But let me tell you about those little girls that are strong-willed and don't want to listen to you. They also aren't going to listen to their friends that ask them to do things that they're not supposed to do. And I'm so grateful for this, this ray of sunshine in our lives. She is a sassy ray, but she is a ray of sunshine in our lives. And I'm grateful that she knows who she is and what she believes and um, what she will and will not do. Uh, our youngest is Lane. He's 14. He's the tallest of the three now. He likes to hold that over his brother. He's in eighth grade. Um, for years, um, I got by with Lane uh, telling everybody that Lane is our most unintentionally funny child and then tell a story to prove that, and I've got lots of them. Unfortunately, at 14, I believe our most unintentionally funny child stories have run out, and that's, that's very sad for me. But recently, my children proclaimed me the most unintentionally mem funny member of the family uh, because we were watching a football game, and um, there was a play, and I'm watching the play, and I go, hey, that was a Facebook. <laughs> and Josh like, we said, did, did you mean face mask? And I went, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. I meant face mask. He's like, somebody's been on Facebook too much lately. So I've become the most unintentionally funny child or funny person in the family. Uh, Lane is much like his daddy, which is wonderful. He's tall and he's thin and he's quiet. And, and uh, all those things are, are wonderful. He loves all things sports, but especially basketball. His team's doing great. They're undefeated. Lane had, if you know what this means, a double-double last game. He scored 11 points, had 17 rebounds. And so they're doing really well. And, um, and he loves that. He's out almost every day shooting hoops in the in the. Uh, in the basket, with the basket in our driveway. Uh, and uh, then, of course, the last child in the family there is Barkley the Wonder Sheep, who, who is a, a fabulous dog. So just a little bit about the study um, that we'll be doing. Uh, you will have five days of questions each week uh, in there. Uh, if you don't like the questions, don't complain to me. No, I wrote them, so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I am the one you complain to. Uh, and it should take you about 15 to 20 minutes um, each day to, to do those. And, you know, it's probably best to do them five days, five days in five days. But if you do it in less, I do it in less. So uh, I can't, can't uh, get on you for that. If you don't finish your questions, even if you don't even start your questions, and you think, ah, should I really go? I didn't do the study this week. Yes, you should come. Uh, while I believe the, the most benefit is found in doing the study questions and being in your small group and discussing those and then coming to the lecture, there is far more benefit in being here on Tuesday morning than there is just in skipping out, regardless of whether you've done the study or not. So please do come anyway. There are two types of questions in this study. There may be three. I really can't remember at this point. But uh, they're just regular questions. Those just have a number in front of them. 
Some of the questions are thought-provoker questions, probably a few more with James than there have been in some other studies. Thought-provoker questions, I always like to say, are questions that are intended to provoke thought. Um, they're questions that aren't just, you just can't come up with the answer right away, or if you can, you should probably be up here teaching. Um, and sometimes I can't answer them. To be honest with you, I'll look at it and I'll go, what was she thinking when she wrote that question? Um, and so, you know, they, they take a little bit of, of thought and, um, and guessing sometimes, too. Uh, and then there may be, I don't know, but sometimes I write challenge questions, which are questions that you have to go to some outside source other than just your, your Bible and your mind to find the answer. Um, I don't know that I put any of those in this lesson or in this study, but I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. So those are three types of questions. I also, uh, like we did with Ephesians, have a, a Bible memory passage, uh, James 1, 19 through 27. So eight verses. So we're going to measure, we're going to memorize a chunk of that. Now I know some of you are like, no, we're not. <laughs> At least I'm not. Just, just give it a shot. This is all I ask. Just give it a shot. Just, just try and see if you can memorize it. I think if you spend a little time with it each day, that's what I did with my kids when they were in Awana. We just sat down each day and we went over the verses. We just read them through together and read them through together. And by the end of the week, they had them memorized. So, and they were young. I, I get that. But I memorized last uh, last semester's passage, and I'm 52, so uh, I can say that because I'm almost 53, so I, this is about the time of year I start telling people my age. Um, so uh, you can do it. Just give it, give it a shot. And then, like last semester, we'll have some community days, a couple of community days, which is a wonderful opportunity not only for you all to get to know each other better and to grow in community with one another, but it's also an opportunity for us to look back over what we've been studying and dig into it even deeper and spend some, some quality time on the memory passage as well. That will be built into those community day studies. You'll still have a study for that week, we just won't have a lecture. Uh, so uh, that's a, I, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to do that, to, to go deeper with the study and, and say, okay, now this is what we've studied. How are we applying this? How is this intersecting with our lives? So that's important. I always like to tell ladies what my philosophy is as I come to a study, and I'm a simple gal. I have a simple study uh, philosophy for my studies. Here's what I want to know. Here's how I approach the study. I want to know, and what I want you to know, what does it say, what does it mean, and how can I apply it to my life? Here's the deal. I, I've often said that you can't live what you don't know, and that's true. We have to know what it says and what it means in order to be able to live it. But God's word was never intended to be just head knowledge. God has always intended for, our, for that to come out in our lives, for what, that truth of God to be lived out in our lives. And James, more than any other book, I think, in the entire Bible, tells us that God wants us to learn his word in order that it might shape us and change us uh, and and. Uh, help us to become more like his son. And so that's my prayer for all of us this semester. Uh, I also always like to make sure you know my qualifications. This is important. You might want to write it down. Here they are. I love God's word, and I love to teach, and that's it. I have no advanced degree. In fact, my degree is in social studies education and physical education. I am a part-time elementary PE teacher. That's it. Uh, I, yeah, I've got little, little Ella in class. So, and I love my job. I, I come home exhausted and happy uh, every day. And I, I will tell you that the entertainment value of watching kindergartners do jumping jacks, or I found out yesterday, 
dribbling a basketball. I could sell tickets. I could make money off this. Here, come watch these kindergartners try to dribble a basketball. It's, it's fabulous. But in, as far as we're concerned, the only qualifications I have are that I love God's word, and I love to teach, and I love this job uh, as well. The, the, the job I don't get paid for, uh, I love so much. So let's talk about James a little bit. One, one of the interesting things I think about James, and I think one of the reasons I was kind of intimidated by it, is that it's a little controversial. I don't know if you knew that, but it's a little controversial, and it is not without its critics. In fact, Martin Luther called it an epistle of straw. Martin Luther called James, and he didn't, he didn't like James. Um, and he didn't say that it shouldn't be part of the canon, but he ranked it lower than other books, other letters in the New Testament. Many theologians say that James outright contradicts Paul's theology of justification. Spoiler alert, he doesn't, and we'll get to that. But that's, that's the... Um, the feeling of a lot of theologians. At the same time, James is not without its fans. And uh, for, the, for the average believer, it is one of the most beloved books of the Bible. In fact, I heard that over and over again when people say, what are you teaching next semester? I'd say James, and they'd say, oh, I love that book. Oh, that's my favorite book. Over and over again, people were, were telling me that. And, and I think it's, it's popular for several reasons. One reason I think James is popular is that it is intensely practical. There's never a part in James where like when you go through Hebrews or Romans and you're like my, my four-year-old niece who goes, what the heck? You know, what, what does that mean? I don't understand. There's not that heavy theology. It's very practical. It's very applicable. Uh, it's filled with direct, clear, direct commands that can be applied to our lives, can be applied to our relationships. Uh, and I think, I think people like that. James in this letter is exhorting us to live as Christ wants us to live. And people like that. That's, that, that encouragement, that exhortation, I think, um, is part of what makes it popular. Secondly, it's concise. You, you know, you don't need some big Bible commentary or whatever. You can, you can sit down and read James in, in one reading. It's, it's, it's concise. It's not a, a really long letter. And then thirdly, James makes wonderful use of metaphors and illustrations that really stick in our minds. The rudder of a boat and how it steers, it steers that ship is a small rudder, just like the tongue is small. The bridle of a horse, you can lead a horse wherever you want with this little bit in his mouth. That, that the tongue is like a, a, a forest fire. It can do so much damage. And we, all, we read that and we go, oh man, that's true. And I think those illustrations uh, that he uses, those metaphors that he uses, really stick in our minds, and I think that's why it's popular. So, who's the author of James? Who wrote James? Well, I'm here to tell you James wrote James. Duh. But which James? And, and actually, this is, a, this is an important question to ask, because James was a very common name. In fact, the name James appears 42 times in the New Testament. And in one verse, Acts 1.13, three different Jameses are mentioned just in that one verse. So uh, it, it is a little bit difficult to figure out. Uh, but, but there are really only two or three uh, people named James, men named James in the New Testament, that would have had the authority and been um, prominent enough to write a letter of this magnitude, a letter that, that was considered authoritative. The first one 
And there are some theologians that believe it's this James, is James the son of Alphaeus, who was a disciple. The thing about this James, though, is that we don't know anything else about him but that. I mean, he's, he appears in the lists of disciples. That's where he appears. So it, it would seem that James, the son of Alphaeus, was probably not well known enough to have written um, a, a letter that was considered authoritative for the church, a letter that, that early on was, was seen as being scriptural, if you will. The second James is James, um, the disciple, another James, the disciple, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of John. And he, in fact, would have been prominent enough, well-known enough to have written. In fact, he's the James of Peter, James, and John. He was one of the three disciples closest to Jesus. So he would definitely have been well-known enough to have written this. Um, however, for him, he was martyred very early. He was martyred around A.D. 44, which... Uh, in its great likelihood that that is before this letter was written. So not many um, theologians believe that, that James, the disciple, uh, the son of Zebedee, wrote this letter. The majority of theologians, not all of them, but the more, majority of them believe that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote um, this letter of James. He was a primary leader in the early church, uh, and very well known. In fact, once Peter left Jerusalem uh, because of persecution, because his life was in danger, James, this James, James, the brother of our Lord, as he's referred to, became the pastor of the mother church of Jerusalem. He was the primary leader. And we see over and over again in Acts where James takes, this James takes a leadership role. Now, that's interesting in part because when Jesus was, was alive and in his ministry, James, his brother James, was not a believer. In fact, uh, poked a great deal of fun at him. Uh, and he became a believer after the resurrection. Uh, now, to me, that's more proof of the resurrection, that his own family was like, dude, he is who he said he was. Because <laughs> we've seen him alive. He was dead. We saw him dead, and now he's alive. So he became a believer after he saw um, Jesus rise from the dead and, and uh, follow Jesus. And, and, and even though he didn't become a believer until after the resurrection. He was considered uh, an apostle along with Paul, who was also not one of the uh, disciples. Uh, another factor in this James's favor is that the er early church tradition teaches that this James, the brother of our Lord, as he was referred to, is the author of the letter of James. And certainly, we'll talk about this in a minute, but certainly the situation that James is writing, that, that James is writing to, the situation that surrounds the letter of James, fits this James as the leader of the Jerusalem church being the one to write it. But we'll talk about that in a minute. What I want to talk about right now is brother of our Lord, what does that mean? I mean, you know, Mary was his mom and the Holy Spirit was his dad. So how do you have a, how do you have a brother? Well, certainly any way you slice it, James was Jesus' half-brother. Uh, because only one person has been born under the circumstances that Jesus was born under. Um, either, and there are theologians on both sides of this, either he was an older brother born to Joseph and an earlier wife, or, there's no biblical record of that, by the way, um, or he was a younger brother born to Mary and Joseph, that Joseph was his uh, biological father, so therefore younger. 
And, and while there are theologians on both sides of this, certainly the, the majority, the vast majority of Protestant theologians, but the majority would say that James was a younger brother of Jesus. Uh, and he is mentioned in the New Testament in a number of places. In fact, in Matthew 13, uh, it says this. They're cute children, but they can go away now. Thank you. Um, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. So that's James. That's, uh, that's James, and since he's listed first, he's probably the next oldest um, brother, the first born to Joseph and Mary. Uh, so uh, he's mentioned in the, in the New Testament. By the way, the word that is used here for brothers can be used for either a, a full-blooded brother or a half-brother, either way. So um, it, it very easily could be his brother. He's also... Um, um, well, let's talk, let's talk for a little bit about the occasion of the letter. So to whom was... James writing, and why was he writing them? James was written to Jews, primarily Jews, living outside of Jerusalem. They had left Jerusalem. We know this because James 1.1 tells us this. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So those 12 tribes is referring to Jews. That's what the, the Jews were uh, in 12 tribes, and they were scattered. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't in Israel. They were scattered. Well, why were they scattered? We find out in Acts why they were scattered. It says in Acts 11, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So Stephen was the first Christian martyr, the first person to be killed for his faith. And after that, persecution against Christians broke out in Jerusalem, and many Jewish Christians fled Jerusalem. These are the people to whom James uh, is writing his letter, these Jews that have spread. Now, God's hand was in this, obviously, because part of the spread of the gospel occurred because of this. They would have been content just to stay in Jerusalem and have it be a Jewish Christian sect, and yet this, this um, event, this persecution forced them out of their comfort zone, forced them out of Jerusalem and into the world where they spread the gospel wherever they went. But, but what I want you to see this is these people that are scattered, James is their former pastor. They were from the church at Jerusalem where James was the pastor. And so this is a letter from their pastor to them as they're scattered. It's a, it's a general letter. It's not sent to a, a specific church like in Corinth or Ephesus or something like that. It's, it's sent to a specific, not sent to a specific church. It's a, it's a general letter to all the Jews that are scattered. So it would have traveled around um, quite a bit. The date that James was written, there are a couple of markers, and this is a, this is a little bit, this is a little bit um, complicated. I hope uh, everybody, I hope I do a good job of explaining this, but certainly James, the brother of Jesus, 
uh, was martyred in, in about A.D. 62. So it was written before that. Uh, so we know that. But it was probably also written before the Jerusalem Council, which I've, can you guys see this? Is this, do I need to write bigger? Are we, are we good? Okay. So the Jerusalem Council, you can read about in Acts 15. We're not going to really read it, but it occurred in about A.D. 48 and 49. The Jerusalem Council was a meeting of the leaders of the church. Peter was there, James was there, Paul was there, uh, and they were trying to decide what direction the church would take. Because, see, here's what happened. Um, in Galatians, and Galatians is all about this issue that was going on, <clears throat> or a lot of it is, uh, Paul says some men came from James, our James here, came from James saying, if, you wanna, if you're a Gentile and you want to be a, a Christian, you have to first become Jewish. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the dietary laws. You essentially have to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. Which, you know, Paul was going, oh, time out. Nope, 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 that's not right. And, th and there was this, this big issue. At the same time, there were some people who said they were from Paul who were going around saying, it really doesn't matter how you live. You can do whatever you want. You just have faith. And it doesn't matter how you live. Paul addressed that issue in 1 Corinthians where he said, no, no, that's not right. There was a man that had, was having an affair with his uh, father's wife probably his stepmother, and saying, I have freedom in Jesus to do this. And Paul's like, nope, 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 no, you, no, you don't have freedom to do that. So, so we had these, these Judaizers, as they were called, that were going around telling Gentile Christians, yeah, you can become Christians, but you have to be Jews. And the purpose of the Jerusalem Council was to settle that issue once and for all. That did they have to keep the Jewish law in order to follow Christ? James was the primary leader, he's the one that gave the speech, he's the one that wrote the letter that went out, and James said essentially this, no, you don't have to become Jewish to become a Christian. You don't, uh, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to keep those dietary laws uh, in order to become a Christian. Now, here's why this is important. It seems like in the letter of James that this issue hadn't been settled. Just like in Galatians, this issue hadn't been settled. Galatians was probably Paul's, the earliest letter we have of Paul, the earliest surviving letter we have. And, and James probably predates Galatians because in parts of James, and we'll get to it in James 3, what, what, what James seems to be doing is responding to those people who said it doesn't matter how you live, only that you believe. And he's saying, no, you say you have faith, good, but even the demons have faith and tremble. And so he's responding to that. Had this been settled, he probably wouldn't have been writing about that. So does that, does that make sense? Does that, okay, so, so this Jerusalem council had to have been after the writing of the letter James. So James was probably written around in the mid 40s, around A.D. 45 or 46, but, but before, slightly before this Jerusalem Council. Galatians was probably written in A.D. 47 or early A.D. 48, also um, before the Jerusalem Council. Clearly, clearly, after this, everyone agreed that salvation, justification, being made right with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works of the law. And at the same time, that a life that has been changed by Jesus 
is a changed life, is a life that doesn't live the same way uh, and lives in a way to honor God. Not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved and because we have the power of the Spirit living in us. So James is, James is addressing those issues a little bit in James, and, and so it probably makes sense that it was written in about the mid-40s. Uh, uh, so what's the, one of the things that theologians talk about is what is the genre of this? And it, it's a letter in the sense that it's sent out to people, but it doesn't read like any other letter in the New Testament. There are no greetings. I mean, he just says literally greetings. There's no travel log. A lot of times Paul says what his plans are. Hey, I'm planning to be there by winter, or I'm going to go here, or I'm going to do that. Get my cloak for me. He greets people in the church, you know, say hi to Phoebe, whatever. And um, James does none of that. In fact, there are parts of James that reads more like Proverbs than like um, other letters of the New Testament. And that's probably because, or quite possibly because, this originally was a sermon. And it does read like a sermon that James wrote out, wrote and then sent out to his former parishioners that were uh, scattered uh, in other countries. One of the things I found most interesting, and we will see this over and over again about the book of James, are the influences on that James had in writing it. He was highly, as a Jewish Christian, highly influenced by the Old Testament. And he uses a lot of Old Testament quotations in here. But even more than that, we're going to see heavy influence from Jesus' teaching. More than any other book in the New Testament, James uses Jesus' teaching uh, and, and kind of uh, repackages it and applies it to this new situation. It's funny because... A lot of theologians say that James doesn't have much Christology. It doesn't talk much about who Jesus was. And yet, all over this book is the teaching of this man's brother, whom he came to call Lord. Uh, and so it's, it, we'll, we'll see that over and over again. In fact, this is um, a theologian that I, that I really love. He's a very unfortunate last name, but he is Dr. Doug Moo. That's the man's name. But he's, he's fabulous, and we'll be hearing from him quite a bit this semester. This is what he says. He says, the author of the letter seems to have been so soaked in the atmosphere and specifics of Jesus' teaching that he can reflect them almost unconsciously. Sounds like someone's brother, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, the themes of James, suffering is a primary theme of James. Wisdom is also um, a theme of James. Uh, James introduces the topic of the tongue and our speech, and then he drops it, and then he picks it up again, and then he drops it. it the, the, the topic of how we, the words we speak, and how we talk to one another, and how we talk about one another. It's very important in James, very practical. Um, caring for those in need, particularly widows and orphans, um, is a, a major theme in James. The godly use of our money. James speaks powerfully and convictingly about uh, the poor and about the wealthy uh, in the book of James. He talks about being single-minded in our devotion to God. We'll talk a lot about uh, this, this word psychosis that, that he used that, that meant double-minded. It actually literally meant double-souled. Uh, and is a word that he probably coined. So uh, he, he's, he's telling these people to have a single-minded 
devotion to, um, to God. And then finally, he talks about how the life of faith, um, that if we have faith in Christ, that will be evident in how we live our lives, that our lives won't look like everyone else's. This is how Dr. Moo uh, sums it up. He says, basic to all that James says in his letter is his concern that his readers stop compromising with worldly values and behavior and give themselves wholly to the Lord. Spiritual wholeness, then, we suggest is the central concern of the letter. So that just all of this is tied up in this idea of spiritual wholeness, of, of being single-minded in our devotion to Christ. Well, just to kind of conclude uh, for today, uh, one of the things that I find so wonderful about James is that it is profoundly applicable. There is so much here that we can apply to our lives and to our relationships, uh, and it, it will... Um, and it, it's important stuff, and it, and it hits us right where we live. At the same time, James is profoundly convicting. Uh, our lives often don't measure up. My life often doesn't measure up to what I say I believe. I say I trust God, but I still worry. I say I love my children, and then I verbally berate them. I say that I believe in God's word, and then I go against what it says. So often my life doesn't measure up to what I say I believe. And, and in encouraging uh, people to live lives that measure up, live lives that are the same as what we say we believe, James doesn't pull any punches. He is direct and he is convicting in what he says. James will convict you. In fact, It'll probably even make you uncomfortable at times. If it doesn't, then you're either way better than I am, which isn't hard to do, um, or maybe you're, you're denying what you're really like, or you don't understand James. But, um, but it, will, it will make you uncomfortable at times. But I believe I call this a beneficial discomfort um, because I think that it's, it's discomfort that is good for us spiritually. I think sometimes we need to be disquieted. We need to be knocked off our center a little bit to really see what's happening. This is what Dr. David Nystrom says about this. He says, in the end, the letter of James is eminently practical. One challenge that faces us is to refrain from emasculating the practicality of the letter. Sorry, it's a theologian. What can I say? Emasculating the practicality of the letter with either academic obfuscation or self-righteous self reinterpretation. We need to allow James to make us uncomfortable, for his message bears eternal consequences. You know, it's probably really bad PR to say, hey, let's study this book, and it's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, that's not something that we normally want to sign up for, and you may want to go down the hall to Sacred Secrets after I'm done with this. But it's true. It's true, it will make us uncomfortable. It will convict us. And that's good, because I believe that if we really dig into this book and we really allow it to sink in, our lives will never be the same. Uh, and that's my prayer for us. Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Good, me too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this book. Thank you for this, just this short little nugget of truth in your word. Um, that is so powerful and has so much to say to 21st century 
American Christians, I pray we'll be listening with open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, this is the one and only week you'll be out early, so enjoy.